Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Now again, the last two verses of chapter 2, speaking about Jesus, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And uh, I probably wrote this from some reference book, I'm not sure. Here the very essence of the message is reached. In other words, the message of the book of Hebrews. For the whole epistle is written to set forth the high priesthood of Christ. The writer removes the, uh, he, Jesus, removes the obstacles that sin has erected so that it is possible for his people to enjoy free and unrestricted access to God. Now, I have a question for you. When did man have free and unrestricted access to God? Before the fall. Before the fall, okay, in the Garden of Eden. Man had free and unrestricted access to God. God came, he walked in the garden with them. So obviously, they had free and unrestricted access to God. When did... Has man since then had free and unrestricted access to God? Pardon? Okay, you say at Pentecost. Okay, so what about Old Testament times? I see people shaking their heads this way. Um, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year. That doesn't sound like free and unrestricted access. Of course, they did their daily offerings and so on. But in the Old Testament, I don't think they did now. That doesn't mean they couldn't have sweet communion with God. I mean, David, he obviously had communion with God, but there was something different, something different. And so this, whoever wrote this said, Jesus removes the obstacles that sin has erected so that it is possible for his people to enjoy free and unrestricted access to God. Uh, there's a verse in Peter, 1 Peter 3.18, I think speaks to this. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He might bring us to God. So we have, I think we do have, I think we do have free and unrestricted access to God now through Christ, through Jesus Christ. And actually the passage, and we're not going to take time to look at it, but if you look at Romans 5, 12 to 21, uh, basically what it says is that what we lost in Adam, by Adam's sin in the fall, we more than make that Christ more than made up for. So we gain more in Christ that we lost in Adam. Is what Romans five is saying. You know, people we think about well, Adam sure messed up for us, but it says that we more Christ more than made up for it. So. Well, then what we have here in these uh, last two verses of, of chapter 2 that 
Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest, and he's able to sympathize and save. Now, I think we'll read chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. That was quoting from Psalm 95. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now looking rather carefully at the first couple verses, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren. We want to think about that a little bit. Wherefore, holy brethren. The word holy, uh, hagios, or in, uh, in the Greek, uh, it was used, it wasn't just a New Testament word, it was used by the Greeks, and it was used like uh, for uh, like a different building. Their, temple, their temples were hagios, they were different buildings. They were used for their gods, and so they were different. They were separate from other buildings, and that's the idea of the word uh, holy, hagios. Fundamentally signifies separated among the Greeks dedicated to their gods, and hence, in Scripture, in its moral and spiritual significance, separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. The idea of sacred occurs over 200 times in the New Testament. Uh, probably you're familiar with 1 Peter 2.9. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a separated group of people. Set apart. Let's turn to uh, Colossians 1, 
like I say, it's it's used over 200 times in the New Testament, that word. This is just one instance. Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So it talks about us being grounded and settled, and, and it says to present us holy and unblameable. And notice, though, that I wanted to read verse 23 included because it says, if you continue in the faith, and sometimes that's kind of overlooked, and we have that here in Hebrews uh, in, in verse 6, it says, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. In third, uh, see which one, it's 14. It says, If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, almost repeating what was in verse 6. And so that, that's a part of it. Uh, but by our very claim to be children of God, uh, part of his heavenly kingdom uh it's it, it we're we're bound by our profession to be holy in first thessalonians it says first uh, thessalonians 5 27 he says uh at the end well it's kind of his closing he says i charge you by the lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren in other words paul writing the letter to the thessalonians he says now you read it to everybody well, he says, read it to the Holy Brethren. I was going to ask you, who was it to be read to? Was it just to be read to the ministry at the church there at Thessalonica? Or maybe um, a few of the uh, elders? When he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto the Holy Brethren, that's the whole church. All supposed to be holy. Well, then the next phrase Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Turn to 1 Timothy. No, 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that, that's, that's a little bit of what we are partakers of. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Phrase there in Hebrews again, partakers of the heavenly calling. And 2 Peter 1 verse 4, 
whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, but that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So that's tremendous. Uh, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Our heavenly calling and being able to partake we're able to partake of these things because of what Christ has done for us and opened the way for us that we have this access to God and his power and his work in our lives. Partakers of the divine nature, it said there in 2 Peter 1, 4. Uh, yeah, do you, do you think that you have the divine nature? It says we're partakers of the divine nature. That's what the scripture says. So it's, it's pretty thrilling. Adam Clark said it this way. The Israelites had an earthly calling. They were called out of Egypt to go into the promised land. Christians have a heavenly calling. They are invited to leave the bondage of sin and enter the kingdom of God. And that makes me think about uh, Colossians uh, 1, I think it's 13. Uh, yes, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, then the next uh, part of that verse I want to think about. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider. And that word has the idea, in the Greek, has the idea of to so observe as to appreciate and understand. Consider, observe, appreciate, understand. Fix your attention, your thoughts on Jesus. Thoughtfully and attentively consider Jesus. Think on. So consider Jesus. Set your heart on him. Let's see, uh, one, uh, there's a, a book called The Holiest of All by Andrew Murray that's, that's on the book of Hebrews. He says, It is the one aim of the writer to persuade the Hebrews that if they but knew aright the Lord Jesus as the faithful, compassionate, and almighty high priest in heaven, they would find in him all they need for a life such as God would have them lead. Consider Jesus. This is your weakness. You have looked at yourself and your own strength. You have not studied Jesus. This will be your cure each day, each hour. Consider Jesus. And I was thinking of this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I looked in the songbooks and I couldn't find it. Well, then I did find it. Um, I found, uh, actually, uh, it's, it's in here, uh, just the chorus. And it's, um, what, 889 maybe? Just the chorus, yes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What, and then it was interesting to me, uh, Brother Franklin read 879. This is 889. Brother Franklin read, read 879, and it said, See if I can find it now. Oh, yes. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. 
thinking about fixing your eyes on Jesus or considering Jesus. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. You know, when we sing, we make some rather uh, uh, in, uh, some rather uh, comprehensive statements uh, that maybe are a little bit idealistic. But it's still it's still a nice thought. <laughs> so, uh, but oh yes, but then I did find it. I did find that song um, in uh, in Zion's praises. And so the first verse goes like this: O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life's more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is a powerful statement. When you're looking on Jesus, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And again, Maybe just a little bit idealistic, but it's true. And it says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. It calls him apostle. It calls him high priest. Now, an apostle is one who's sent on a mission. And in the next verse says, who was faithful to him that appointed him? Jesus came to earth to show us he was the full, final, and full revelation of God. But he was the apostle. Um, and so, back in the Gospel of John, John 20, 21, it says, yes, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. So he was sent, and then he sent the disciples. And they're called the 12 apostles. But Jesus here is called the apostle because he was also sent and high priest of our profession. Uh, in confessing Jesus as apostle, we mean that he represents God to us, declares to us the will of God. In confessing him as high priest, we mean that he represents us to God. Now, the scripture talks about Jesus interceding for us. He's at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. But it also says that we are a royal priesthood. That's what it says in Peter. We're a royal priesthood, a kingly priesthood. So we have access to God. We have this direct and free access to God as individuals. But it's still that Jesus is interceding for us. And and this, is it in Romans, or where is it? It says that the Spirit also intercedes with us, for us, when we have such burdens on our heart, we don't know how to express it. It says the Holy Spirit uh, intercedes for us also. Well, it says that Jesus was, a faith, was faithful to him that appointed him. 
as also Moses was faithful in all his house. I'd like for us to look at a few verses that just illustrate Jesus' faithfulness in his calling. It says, Jesus was faithful to him that, to him that appointed him. In other words, being sent here to, to reveal to us what God was like. You can read about something. You can uh, think about something that's um, what what I, what I'm getting at is okay. The spiritual is supposed to be more real to us than the the natural, but things that you can't get a hold of with your five senses. It's just a little harder sometimes to understand or grasp. And so Jesus coming in the flesh as a person that, and he lived among us, we can just understand God a little better. And but anyway, so but Jesus, so he was he came here to reveal God to us, but he was faithful to him that appointed him. And now let's see what that looks like in the in the book of John, the Gospel of John. Turn to John six. John six thirty-eight. Now we're thinking about Jesus being faithful to him that sent him. John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And, of course, you remember there in John 20, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And so the, the, uh, the challenge for us, like Jesus said, I I, I'm not, I didn't do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So we're supposed to also do the will of him that sent us. But anyway, 638. Okay, the next one is 829. John 829. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I find these verses in John that talk about Jesus and how he lived his life here. Uh, like I say, very challenging. He said, I do always. Uh, and Jesus was, was speaking honestly. He wasn't exaggerating. He said, I do always those things that please him. And I, I, I don't think any of us would attempt to claim that, that we always do what pleases God. But Jesus said, I always do what pleases God. So he was faithful. He was faithful to him that sent him. Okay, uh, chapter 15, verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And there again, he wasn't exaggerating. He said he kept the Father's <laughs> commandments. And one more, uh, 17, four, 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. 
Now, Jesus, we think, was about 33 years old. And many of us are past that. Quite a number of us, at least. But when we come to the end of our life, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think in a way we can. To say, I have finished the work which God gave me to do. I guess if we're walking with him each day, when our life ends, we can say that. But that, that's, that again is a challenge to live that way, to be able to say that when our time comes. I have finished the work which God gave me to do. Well, then here in Hebrews, but I'll say what, what the writer to the Hebrews is doing, and we, uh, we had mentioned that uh, in one of the first messages, that it, it would seem that the writer, and the writer isn't identified, the writer of the book of Hebrews isn't identified, that, uh, and the book was probably written in the A.D. 60s before the temple was destroyed, but it would have been <clears throat> like 30 years after the church in Jerusalem was started, and they had experienced persecution, and their families and their relatives and so on that stayed Jewish and didn't become Christians, Could, would, could say to them, you know, we have the temple. We have our Old Testament history. We have all this elaborate, I mean, right now reading through, you know, if you're following um, that, uh, that Bible that's available to us out there in the box to read through the Bible in a year, and you're reading in there in uh, Exodus and Leviticus, and I was just reading about the garments that they made for Aaron, you know, the blue and the, what was it, purple? Anyway, three different colors plus gold thread. And they wove these garments. I mean, they must have been something else. And uh, all that stuff is so elaborate. And so what did the Christians have? They just had this crucified man. That's all they had. It's what their Jewish relatives could say. But the writer of the Hebrews is trying to tell them what they have in this crucified man. Well, he's not just crucified, he's also risen. And so Moses was a big deal to them. He was the, he was the lawgiver in the Old Testament. He was the one that led them out of Egypt. And here it's saying Jesus is more than Moses. And so it says Moses was faithful in all his house, but this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and as much as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. So Moses was faithful in all his house, and you, you can read about that particularly in Numbers 12, 1 through 8. But in, I'll just, Numbers 12, 7, I'll just give that one. My servant Moses is not so, he is faithful in all my house. And um, so Moses was faithful, yes. And now that word house, what's that? Um, 1 Timothy 3.15 it's talking about being faithful in the house what are we talking about 1 Timothy 3.15 but if I tarry long that thou, mayest know, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth 
So when it talks about Jesus being faithful in all his house, it's the house of God. It's the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. So they were both, Moses, Jesus, they were both absolutely faithful to God, cherishing no interest or aims aside from those of God himself. Moses poured out his life in the service of Israel. Christ poured out his life literally for us. And he was greater than Moses. Well then, in light of all this, it says... Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And the word harden there has the idea of being stubborn. In Acts 19, I won't turn to it uh, for the sake of time, but Paul preached three months to the Ephesians and says, those that I should maybe just uh, at least get the one verse in uh, Acts 19, verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And so he had preached for three months, but some people just, they resisted, they hardened. And it has the idea of being stubborn. In other words, he, he was giving them the truth, but they just weren't accepting it. They were just stubborn. And so it says here, don't get stubborn in your hearts. Don't resist the truth. And... Uh, I was going to, uh, maybe I'll do this yet. If you go back to Psalm 95 and you read this psalm, maybe I'll just quickly read it. <clears throat> it says, uh, <clears throat> Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him as psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. And he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, for we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Well, that, that's, a, that's praise and worship and glory. And then it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. And then the rest of the psalm is what's quoted there in Hebrews, and it's quoted twice in Hebrews well, actually, it's quoted three times in Hebrews 3 and once in, in Hebrews 4. So why would it, why, why, why is all this about hardening your hearts? Uh, and the, the first part of the psalm, and that's what we think about, I mean, that number 13 in our songbook that John Overholt write, Oh, come, let us worship, is based on that psalm. Song, powerful song of worship. And then all of a sudden you get here to the end of the chapter and it says, Don't be stubborn. Uh, why, why, why did it keep going back? Why did the writer of the Hebrews keep going back to this psalm and quoting that psalm? Well, again, that situation, you know, thing we, we in our Christian experience, we talk about the mountains and the valleys. You can have, you know, this wonderful Christian experience, but what about when you hit a hard time? You know, don't let that, don't let that take you down. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't resist. People came out, and that, that's the way it is for us. I mean, people came out of Egypt, I mean, those 10, those 10 plagues, those miracles, going through the Red Sea. I mean, and then they get out into the wilderness and they say, and we talked about that the other Sunday, but they get out in the wilderness and they say, oh, God just brought us out here to kill us. And how could they say that when they saw, and they had this cloud, this cloud that was, you know, it was a pillar of fire by night and it was a cloud by day and it led them. 
and it protected them and all this. They had this direction. What does that mean when you're dying of thirst? And so when the hard times come, when the hard times come, don't get discouraged. Maintain your faith in God. Maintain your walk with God. I was going to go over this stuff, but I don't have time, I see. I don't have time. And I mentioned the other day, and I, I had jotted a few things up here on the board, but uh, about the connection between unbelief and disobedience. Uh, and those words there at the end of Hebrews, how they're synonyms, but they have that slightly different. But the, the thrust is, and I, I wish I had time to go over that, but maybe, maybe another time we can, because I wrote it down more carefully here than I had the other Sunday. But it, it's, if you have confidence in somebody, you're going to obey them. You trust them. And so when the low places in life come, when the difficult places come, continue trusting. Continue with your faith in God. And if you have faith in God, if you trust Him, you, you're going to, and you believe Him, you're going to listen to Him. You're going to do what He says because you trust Him. You know, that. well, yeah, the illustration sometimes comes like a child is up somewhere and the parent says, jump. Well, the child trusts the parent. He jumps into his arms. He don't think that the parent's going to step aside and let him fall down. And so, you know, when, what should I say? When God says, jump, <laughs> trust him. <laughs> when he's calling you to something you can't see your way through, trust him. And, uh, well, I'll just uh, close then with the refrain to that song again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, this Hebrews 4, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession.